0: up, Dean? When did you get in? Right now? It's going down here, that's it. If only I knew what I was doing. I would have hooked this up earlier. Okay, here we go. All right, Genesis chapter 12, you guys. Tonight, we're going to look at the call of Abram, who later became Abraham. Father, go before Your word now, and just Lord, help us to focus on what You have for us. I thank You for all these guys here tonight, Lord and Father. Just pour Your Spirit, even as Sam sang right now, Lord and Father. Just have our hearts to be just geared toward You, Lord and Father, open to receive, and that we would all walk out of here, Lord, changed, Lord, including myself go before us now, in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Genesis chapter 12. Abraham is known as the father of faith. Great sections of the New Testament explain the significance of Abraham. To support the doctrine of justification by grace through faith, Romans chapter 4 refers to God's dealing with Abraham. Chapter 3 of Galatians refers to Abraham's life to prove that salvation is given apart from good works. One of the longest paragraphs in Hebrews 11, the Hall of Faith, is devoted to the growing faith of the life of Abraham. The New Testament declares that Abraham believed God and it was accounted to him for righteousness. Abraham's an important person in the scriptures. But the interesting thing is that this great man of faith also had great lapses of faith. And we're going to see one of them tonight. When you look at instances in his life, you can see that Abram or Abraham blew it. He blew it sometimes. We're going to see an account tonight. But this is one of the unique things about the Bible. The Bible gives us events and people and stories. And what the Lord includes is is not like a, a marketing profile where You doctor up people's profile in their life and skip over all their faults to make them look better. God didn't do that. He gives us people's good points as well as their flaws. And this should give us hope. Because if God can use people like Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, people like Peter. Who were imperfect people, then there's hope for us. We who are imperfect people. And hopefully we can truly see the grace of God in our lives and and truly appreciate the incredible grace of God in our lives. It was by grace, by the grace of God that he called Abram. It was by the grace of God that he called you and me. It was by the grace of God that he blessed Abram. It is by the grace of God that he blesses you and me. And what God is looking for, you guys, is a loyal heart. Not a perfect heart, but a loyal heart. Even though we are to mature in the Lord and we are to grow in maturity. But he's looking for a loyal heart. 2 Chronicles 16.9 tells us that the eyes of the Lord run to and fro throughout the whole earth to show himself strong on behalf of those whose heart is loyal to him. God did not look down from heaven and see a bit of saving faith in Abram or a bit of righteousness and, and, and say, oh, this is great. I found someone with a little bit of true faith. That makes me possible to save him. I think I'll save him. And it's the same with us. When God looked down from heaven, he saw that all of us were without faith. I didn't have faith when I came to the Lord. We came just like we were. We repented of our sins. We gave our lives to God. Then God began to change us and transform us. And as a result, Our faith in the Lord is built up the more we walk with him. The more we see his goodness and truly know him. We build our relationship with him. And as we see the call of Abram. The more we should realize that there's a call on our lives also. When we accepted the Lord. And yet along our Christian journey. We are going to make mistakes. But the merciful thing is, is that we can get back up and our Lord is faithful and he does take us and he cleans us off again. And yes, we do have to deal with the consequences of the mistakes we make, the blunders we make. There will be consequences. We want to limit that. But God does take us back. if We repent. if We get right with him again. And also realize that one of the reasons we have accounts like this in the word of God. Um, 1 Corinthians ten eleven says that they're written for our examples and they were written for our admonition. Not so that we can use them as excuses. To sin, but for our learning and our maturity and our walk with the Lord. Abraham is called God's friend. Three times in the scripture, Second Chronicles 20, verse 7, Isaiah 41, 8, and James two twenty three. He's called a friend of God or God's friend. The label friend of God, it's a great honor. And that should give us an incentive because what we can be, we can be what Abraham was, a friend of God, a man who heard God and believed God and believe that God can be trusted to do what he says he will do. And we can allow him to do that transforming work in our lives that only he can do. So tonight we're going to look at Abraham's call to faith, verses 1 through 9. Abram's lapse of faith, verses 10 to 20. And then I'm going to dive into verse uh, chapter 13, 1 to 4 for a little bit and Abram's return to faith. Notice the command in the call. Look at verse 1. Now the Lord had said to Abram, Get out of your country, from your family and from your father's house, to a land that I will show you. Notice verse 1 tells us that the Lord, it says there had said. Past tense. It points to a previous call in the past. God had called Abram when he lived in Ur of the Chaldees. Turn to Acts real quick. Chapter 7. Keep your finger here. We'll be right back. And turn to Acts chapter 7 verses 2 to 4. Because uh, this confirms that Stephen gave us the account. When he was preaching there. Uh, Acts 7 verse 2 says. And he said. Brethren and fathers listen. Listen. The God of glory appeared to our father Abraham when he was in Mesopotamia before he dwelt in Haran and said to him, get out of your country and from your relatives and come to a land that I will show you. Then he came out of the land of the Chaldeans and dwelt in Haran. And from there, when his father was dead, he moved him to the land in which you now dwell. So the call was made to Abram before he left Ur of the Chaldeans. He was called out to a life of faith but he didn't completely obey it at first. It was half-hearted obedience. So God calls him while he was in Ur of the Chaldeans and he travels to Haran with his dad even though God had said get out of your country from your family and from your father's house and walk in this new life of faith. And yet... It seems like Abram didn't do it. He leaves, but it seems like he didn't leave the way God wanted him to. Takes his dad and his nephew Lot with him. But why did God call Abram to get out of his country and away from his relatives? It was because Abram or Abraham came from a family of idolaters. He was a pagan and lived in a pagan culture. Joshua 24 gives us a background on that. Joshua twenty four two tells us that Terah, the father of Abraham, dwelt on the other side of the river in old times and they served other gods. Joshua was warning them that don't bring, those, don't bring that idolatry when you come into the land. He's giving them a warning there. And in verses 14 and 15 of Joshua 24, Joshua gave them a warning about serving other gods. He says, now therefore fear the Lord, serve him in sincerity and in truth, and put away the gods which your fathers served on the other side of the river and in Egypt. He says, serve the Lord. He says, and if it seems evil to you to serve the Lord, choose for yourself this day whom you will serve, whether the gods that your fathers served. That were on the other side of the river. Or the gods of the Amorites. In whose land you dwell. But as for me and my house. We will serve the Lord. So we have the background. Of where Abram came from. He came from a family of idolaters. And. His family background. That idolatry wasn't like the Canaanites. Who practiced idolatry. Where they sacrificed babies. On the altar of Moloch. And and, and brutal stuff like that. But. Uh, they were non-believers in the true God. He grew up in a pagan family, even as many of us grew up in pagan families. I grew up in a family that that wasn't anti-God, but we had our picture of Jesus right next to John F. Kennedy, the Virgin Mary, and the Pope, all right there on the wall in my mom's kitchen. We went through the ritual of Easter. Yeah, we went through the ritual of Easter. I mean, of Lent at Easter. You know, where everybody would stop drinking for you know that forty-day thing. I think it was, and you know, everybody's kind of religious and looking good. You know, to the wife, and she's all happy because he's not drinking for forty days. You know, and things are good at home. But then Easter Sunday comes. And the family goes up to the park for a picnic and man, they would make up for it. You know, and everybody would get blitzed out of their mind and you know, it was just, we were pagans. You know, we thought we were being religious. Ate fish on Fridays, you know. (laughs) We were just religious. We didn't have a real relationship with the true and living God. But here in verse 1 of chapter 12, God calls Abram to leave his background. Leave all that you know in terms of security and follow me in a life of faith that I am going to show you. And at first, it looks like Abram was very obedient. But if you look at the end of chapter 11, verse 27, into chapter 12... um, it looks, it looks like Abraham received the khan, was immediate, uh, immediately obedient but, and went down to the land. But that passage there at the end of chapter 11 is just an overview of Abraham's life until his dad dies. It's not in chronological order. And many believe that he lived in Haran um, anywhere for about between 15 to 45 years. Which was a lot of wasted time. Those were lost years. They were years of procrastination. And when we follow God, it involves a break. A break from the past. Even as 2 Corinthians 5.17 declares that old things are passed. In Christ, we are a new creation. Old things have passed away. Behold, all things become new. If there's not a clean break from the past, From the old ways, it will affect our walk. It will affect our spiritual growth. When a person repents and gives his life to the Lord, repentance means that there is now a change, a change of heart, a change of mind, a change of direction. You're now following the Lord, your new leader, and that involves a break from the past. You cannot walk into the new land of Canaan Spiritually speaking. And bring the old life with you. And many times this involves having to break from. Past friends. Or even relatives that you know may have had a bad influence on you. I had to do that. I knew I had to. And it doesn't mean that we divorce ourselves from. From unbelievers. Completely. But. But. You have to have new priorities. Develop new relationships with other Christians. So that you grow in the faith. So that you're accountable. That you won't return to the old ways. The old nature. And God has called us away from the idolatrous pagan world. So that we would be a living witness for him. And it's also to preserve in our family, the knowledge of the true and living God. Sometimes we don't think ahead like that. But what we're developing in our family life, in our home life, as as you know, as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. You're setting up a preservation, hopefully, if the Lord should tarry for our kids, for our families. Colossians 3, 1 and 2 says, If then you were raised with Christ... Seek those things which are above where, and where Christ is, sitting at the right hand of God. Set your mind on things above, not on things on the earth. Romans twelve two, and do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, that you may prove what is good and acceptable and perfect will of God. <laughs> Jesus said in John 17, 16, they are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. 1 John 2, 15 and 16 says, Do not love the world or the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life is not of the Father, but is of the world. We are to be crucified to the world. Galatians six fourteen. But God forbid that I should boast except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ by whom the world has been crucified to me and I to the world. And while God may not ask us to literally leave our country or our families, he does call us to separate ourselves from all that would hinder us from our complete commitment to him. If you look at the word holy, the word holy comes from a meaning that means to be separate or or to be set apart. To be set apart from sin and and set apart unto God. And we must break from our culture and, and the sinful thinking of our culture, the sinful ways of our culture. And to do that, we have to become biblical thinkers or able to evaluate our culture through the standard of God's word. So Abram was told to leave several things, his country, his people, his father, uh, his father's household, to make a clean break from the idolatrous background that he came from. And in one sense, the command of God was specific. Here in verse one, you know, he, he gives them specifics, leave country, relatives his father's house but on the other hand if you look at the end of verse 1 god says to a land that i will show you the writer in hebrews 11 verse 8 said and he went out not knowing where he was going that required a great act of faith on abram's part Even as the faith that we are called to do to walk in in our walk requires a great act of faith. Think about it. And it's not so much faith in a plan, but faith in a person. It's faith in our Lord. Are we going to put our total faith in him? Who we trust in it comes down to our relationship with our Lord. In verses 2 and 3, we have the promise in the call. Look at these promises. I will make you a great nation. I will bless you and make your name great. And you shall be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you. And I will curse him who curses you. And in you, all the families of the earth shall be blessed. Four times in these two verses, God says, I will. God gave Abram promises with incredible eternal consequences, promises with incredible worldwide magnitude and enormous significance. These were incredible blessings. They were actually more promised blessings than there were requirements or commands in verse 1. And that's our Lord. He blesses. Notice what God promised. He says, I will make you a great nation. Abraham's seed would become a great nation. The promise has been fulfilled in the Jewish nation. Which Abraham is the father. God says, I will bless you. This refers not only to earthly temporal blessings, but spiritual blessings as well. In the middle of verse 2, he says, and make your name great. This has been fulfilled in that the Jews... Christians and even Islam all look to Abraham as the father of their faith. His name is even known worldwide to millions of people 4,000 years later after he lived. At the end of verse 2, Abram is given a command in a future tense. Notice what it says. And you shall be a blessing. The blessing given to Abram becomes a blessing for others. In other words, other people share, will share in the blessing Abram receives from God. Even as we're called and we're called to bless so that we can become a channel to others, a blessing to others to what God has blessed us with. We have a great privilege as God's chosen people. God's blessing on our lives and a great responsibility is to bless others. Look at verse 3. It says, and I will bless those who bless you and I will curse him who curses you. This refers not only to Abram, but to Abram's descendants. God is against those who are against his chosen people. And he is favorable to those who are, show favor to his people. Look at certain nations that, you know, crumbled because, they, you know, they didn't show favor. They were against Israel. The U.S. better be careful that they don't turn against Israel. Very important. At the end of verse 3, God declares, And in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. This is a, this is a tremendous promise because it was fulfilled in Jesus Christ who was born of Abraham's, Abraham's lineage. Abraham's lineage. This is one of the greatest promises in the Bible. God's promise of a Savior for all who would give their lives to him. And Galatians three eight says, And the scripture foreseeing that God would justify the Gentiles by faith, preached the gospel to Abraham beforehand, saying, In you all the nations shall be blessed. So we have the good news that Jesus Christ would be born to Abraham's descendants and that he would save us from our sins through faith in him. Incredible. And all these promises are basically tied to verse 1. Abram's obedience to the commands in verse 1 start a chain reaction in which God would bless him. So what what you basically have going on here is In verses 1 to 3, it's God saying, obey me. And on the other hand, he's saying, I will bless you. And God, in in essence, tells us the same thing. Obey me because I want to bless you. When God calls us and tells us to obey him, it's not because he wants to be uh, limit our style or cramp our style or limit us. He doesn't want, doesn't. He does want to bless us and he does want us to succeed in our lives. And sometimes the blessing does come through the result of trials. The things we go through. But our Lord initiates, he commands us and we are to respond, we are to obey, we are to step out in faith. You see this in the New Testament as like in the book of Ephesians where you see how chapter 1 shows us that all that God has done for us. God has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ. We have redemption through his blood. And then you get to the second half of Ephesians, and then it says, therefore, and that is where we are to respond, based on all that God has done for us. That's the pattern of the New Testament in Paul's writings. So there's a real connection between obedience and blessing. It begins with what God has done for us in our response based on all that God has done for us. So Abram finally responds to the call of God of what God wants him to do in his life. His partial obedience did not take away God's promises. Instead, it meant the, promises, the promise was put on hold until Abram was ready to do what the Lord had said. Look at verse 4. So Abram departed as the Lord had spoken to him, and Lot went with him. And Abram was 75 years old when he departed from Haran. Then Abram took Sarai, his wife, and Lot, his brother's son, and all their possessions and that they had gathered, and the people whom they had acquired in Haran and they departed to go to the land of Canaan. So they came to the land of Canaan. And verse six says, Abram passed through the land to the place of Shechem as far as the terebinth tree of Morah and the Canaanites were in the land. So there's now a sharp contrast between the events of this passage that we just read and Abram's earlier failure to fully obey God when he was first called out of Ur. Now he leaves, as the Lord told him. He obeys God and he alters his life accordingly. Abram heard what God said and he acted upon it, which is biblical faith. Obedient faith hears God's word and and has a willingness to yield to the Lord in those areas that need to be changed, to bring change in our lives. And I, I find it interesting that for some reason Lot was... Part of the group still. You know, some commentators say that at that point, if you see there, that that they had acquired a lot of, uh, uh, they were blessed already with with possessions. And some say that Lot and Abram might have been business partners by that point. So he takes them with him. Because they had a lot at stake at that point as business partners. But uh, as you guys will see down the line in Genesis, that uh, this came back to Han Abraham. A lot became a big problem for him. And you'll see that later on in later chapters. But Abraham now knew that he was not to be at home in the world, even as, as, as we, he was called to live in it. But he was not to be at home in the world. This journey, this call of faith was radical. It uprooted him from all that he had ever known. It separated him from his country, his homeland, and his people. I believe it was in Ur where um, the first toilets were made. So, left all that. (laughs) Uh, (laughs) The thrust now is that Abram lived this way even after he entered the land. So he arrives in Canaan, a changed man. Look at verse 7. Then the Lord appeared to Abram and said, To your descendants I will give this land. And there he built an altar to the Lord who had appeared to him. And he moved from there to the mountain east of Bethel and pitched his tent with Bethel on the west and Ai on the east. There he built an altar to the Lord and called on the name of the Lord. So Abram journeyed still going toward the south. You see, Abraham's priorities are now evident at this point. He's now a new man who built an altar to the Lord. This gives evidence that he was worshiping. He's worshiping God at this point. He now now worships the true and living God. He's a citizen of heaven. And he is now a man who pitched his tent, it says there. Pitched his tent, it's giving evidence that his tent was not permanent. In other words, from this time on, he truly saw himself as a pilgrim. Pilgrim on this earth, he fixed his eyes on the heavenly city of God. As Hebrews 11 tells us, his values were changed. No longer settled down. Instead, he lived in tents as a symbol of the temporary abode in this world. And we also see his commitment and determination now. Verse 9 says that he journeyed going on still toward the south. He didn't just hang out on the outskirts of Canaan. He went deep in there. He went deep into Canaan. He's an example of how we are to be in the world and yet not really of it. In other words, he is an example of what it means to be a pilgrim on this earth. We were once like Abram and Ur before we gave our lives to the Lord. We set, we were settled. We dealt in the world, and then God came in our lives and. Blast some of us out of our ungodly lifestyles. And now, having been found in Christ, we are to, now to be pilgrims on this earth, just passing through. And this is a good question to ask ourselves at this point. Are we pilgrims for Christ? Or are we more like Abram Abraham and Haran? Yes, we've been called by God. We have begun the Christian walk. But have we settled down in our Haran? In other words, has the world's influence and values affected us? F.B. Meyer speaks of this in a book that he did on the life of Abraham. He said this. He said, it is of the utmost importance that the children of God should live this detached life as a testimony to the world. How will people believe us when we walk about our hope if it does not wean us from the excessive devotion to the things around us? If we are quite as eager or careworn, quite as covetous or grasping, quite as dependent on the pleasures and fascinations of this this passing world as themselves, may they not begin to question whether our profession be true on the one hand, or whether, after all, there be a real city yonder on the other. We must not go on as we are. Professing Christians are too much taken up in business cares, in pleasure seeking, and self-indulgence. There is a slight difference between the children of the kingdom and the children of this generation. That's heavy. That's sobering. And maybe you're here tonight, and there's something that you know you need to change. Something you need to cut ties with. And maybe you're having a hard time doing this. And you wonder. How do I do this? How do I accomplish this? Maybe you need to do. What you need to do is. You need to come to the point as Abram did. Get to that point where it turned him into a pilgrim. The author of Hebrews tells us. What Abraham did. Hebrews 11.10 says He waited. For the city which has foundations, whose builder and maker is God. In other words, Abraham looked up. He had his eyes on heaven. He was looking toward heaven. It's knowing that Jesus is coming soon and living your life with that urgency. I think we forget about that many times in our journey through this earth. We forget that he's coming really soon. It's putting our sight on the city of God and wanting to be there. That hunger, do we really want the Lord to come? You know, I want to be there. I'm tired of this earth. And I know I need to occupy and we need to continue, but do we have our eyes on heaven? It's having a realization that we are traveling to another home, that this is not really our home. A pilgrim has an outlook, a goal, a destination, and is determined to hang loose on everything else until the getting to that new place is in that better place. This is the way we are to live in this world. And I believe the Lord wants some of us to be more of a pilgrim than ever before. God wants us to let go of some of those things and people of this world that are holding us down. Understand that I'm not talking about being irresponsible, though. Don't, you know, pay your bills, okay? but but, you know but we are not to be anchored to this world God is calling you where you are and as you are and his command is let go let go completely and follow me gosh we all need to do that more Jesus said for whoever desires to save his life will lose it but whoever loses his life for my sake will find it, Matthew 16:25. First Peter 2:11 and 12 urges us beloved, I beg you as sojourners and pilgrims, abstain from fleshly lusts which war against the soul, having your conduct honorable among the Gentiles, that when they speak evil, they speak against you as evildoers, they may by your good works which they observe, glorify God in the day of visitation. Abram was now a man who built an altar. He was a man who pitched his tent. And wherever he abandoned his tent and his altar, he got into trouble. As Abram followed God in obedience and he arrived in the land, he runs into a problem. And it's a test of of his obedience. Someone was there before him. Verse 6 tells us that the Canaanites were in the land. Sturdy Canaanites. God had told him uh, to your offspring, I will give you this land in verse 7. But how can it be given to Abram if someone else was already there possessing it? And it was not just anybody there, it was those Canaanites, wicked people. That Israel had to fight after crossing the Jordan under the command of Joshua. But how was Abram able to grow strong during this period Of God leading him. How come he did not turn back to Haran at this point? Figuring that maybe God had made a mistake in sending them to Canaan. The answer is in verse 7. The Lord appeared to Abram. The Lord appeared to Abram there in Canaan. Although the Canaanites were in the land, God was also there too. And he's mightier than the Canaanites. God ruled Canaan and he was promising Abram and his descendants that he would possess it, not by Abram's strength or by his own manipulation, but by God's great divine power. Even as we too, as we live on this earth, that we are to to take spiritual possession of it through our proclamation of God's truth. Yeah, we're to touch lightly on this earth, be pilgrims on this earth, but we are also to be possessors in a spiritual sense as we live in this land. What do I mean? We are to proclaim Christ, and as a result, we are to possess the world for Christ. By Abram building altars, it was also, in a sense, a a figurative way of claiming the land for God. He was making a a pretty strong statement there. You have these brutal Canaanites, and he's building an altar proclaiming God right in the midst of that. That's a pretty strong statement. He raised an altar as a testimony to God's claim upon the place and on those who would uh, live there after him. The altar remained as a witness to the fact that in this place, A child of God once knelt and prayed. He proclaimed the gospel of grace and claimed that spot for God's glory. And we are called to do that in our journey through this life. Yeah, we're called to be pilgrims, but we're also called to be ambassadors to his kingdom. And we are to proclaim, and we're charged to proclaim the rule of Christ. We are to establish that rule wherever our pilgrim life takes us. We are to build an altar, spiritually speaking, on the streets where we live, in our neighborhoods, be a mighty witness to all those around us in our neighborhoods, in our cities, in our families. So Abram heard the call of God and had responded in faith, obeying by departing, leaving everything behind. We see him worshiping God and holding lightly to the things of the world and calling on the name of the Lord. He left both Ur and Haran. He arrives in Canaan. And then a test of faith now comes. I wish we could stop here. (laughs) But we can't. In verses 10 to 20, we have Abram's lapse of faith. Verse 10 says, Now there was a famine in the land, and Abram went down to Egypt to dwell there. For the famine was severe in the land. He followed. He stepped down in faith and he followed the Lord all the way to Canaan. And now he runs into a trial. He runs into a famine in the land. And here we see Abram trying to resolve things on his own. He leans to his own understanding. We see him taking matters into his own hand by going down to Egypt. Instead of remaining in Canaan and trusting God, which wasn't easy, but God had given them those promises. And again, he probably had a lot of livestock. He had stuff, and now you have a famine. How are you getting, you know? So he's, he's trying to make things happen. He goes down to Egypt. And as we all know, Egypt symbolizes the world. Canaan symbolizes the life of faith and victory. Egypt was watered by a great river system, which allowed for irrigation. It was less dependent on the rain than Canaan. Canaan received the, the rain, the fresh rains from God. Deuteronomy 11, 10 to 12 confirms this. It says, For the land which you go to possess is like the land of Egypt from which you have come, where you sowed your seed and watered it by foot as a vegetable garden. But the land which you cross over to possess is a land of hills and valley which drinks, listen, from the waters from the rain of heaven dependent upon God. A land for which your Lord, your God cares. The eyes of the Lord, your God, are always on it from the beginning of the year to the very end of the year. So farming in Canaan was much more a matter of faith than Egypt. It took trust in God dependence upon God. And and Abram trusted God for the ultimate overall, but he was unwilling to trust God for the immediate. The day-to-day things, the food for the day. I don't think God brought him into Canaan to starve. And when it comes to our walk with the Lord, yeah, we are saved. But we have to be careful that we don't let those day-to-day decisions that come our way detract us from including God in those decisions, from trusting in Him. When we make day-to-day decisions, if we don't seek the Lord for guidance, we leave an opening to get into trouble, to make a mess of things. And when we do things on our own strength and in our own wisdom... We will produce more problems and difficulties that are necessary. And the Lord is never, the things that the Lord never intended for us to go through. But when you put your faith and trust in the Lord and we wait upon him and we seek him, we, we seek his direction, we will minimize problems and difficulties. And the testings will be there and the things will be there, but we got to trust in the Lord. That's building faith. It's not easy. I'm not saying here I have it down. But we have to build on that. That's growing in our walk with the Lord. There's many times when we go through stuff. And we know that. Especially as men who lead our homes. And decisions that have to be made. And sometimes you know what God is calling you to do. But yet you have that out sometimes. That's easier. And we got to trust God. He will provide the strength and the wisdom for all our situations that we go through. And the ultimate outcome through all of this is to produce Christ's likeness. God wants us to conform to the image of his son. Abram left Bethel, which was his last recorded residence going before going to Egypt, which was his place of worship. The place he called on the name of the Lord. The place he built an altar. But it's interesting that. You do not see him worshiping again until chapter 13 verse 4. When he gets back to Bethel after he was kicked out of Egypt. In this next section, Abram does not consult with God, but he acts independently. Look at what happens in verses 11 to 13. And it came to pass when he was close to entering Egypt, that he said to his to Sarah, his wife, indeed, I know that you are a woman of beautiful continents. Gave her a compliment. That's good. Therefore, it will happen when the Egyptians see you that they will say this is his wife and they will kill me, but they will let you live. Please say that you are my sister, that it may be well with me for your sake and that I may live because of you. So, It seems that Abram made his decision to go to Egypt without realizing the consequences. But just outside of Egypt, he begins to realize the dangers that lie ahead. And he tells his wife, who was a very beautiful woman, Abram was about 75 years old when he left Haran for Canaan. Verse 4 confirmed this. And Genesis seventeen seventeen t- says that Sarai was ten years younger than Abram, so she was about sixty five at this point. And in that day and age, that was basically the it was the middle you know the middle age you were in middle age there. And some commentators say that her beauty was so striking that she even looked younger than she was. So there was good reason to fear what might happen as a foreigner would you know a foreigner uh, whose wife was so attractive coming into this land the husband would be easy to get rid of in this kind of circumstance <laughs> so abram as a result of this you know he asked her to go along with his own solution to this problem for his safety he suggests that sarai pose as his sister so that he, she, that he would not be killed now some believe that Abram asked his wife to pose as his eligible sister so that when the men of the land asked for her hand he could stall for enough time till the famine was over and then he can get out of there and go back pretty slick here if, if you really if that's what Abram was doing you know Uh, he knew the laws of the land in in regards to foreigners and he had a plan uh, to get around the system but he didn't seek or include the Lord in this plan and he digs a deeper ditch maybe he he thought that one of the local Egyptians would come to ask for his sister her sister's hand in marriage and he would agree but he would insist on a long engagement so he could have enough time for the famine to end and during that time Sarai would still be with him in their tent in their home and they could secretly continue their marriage and it seemed like a plan like this would work out but the plan was wrong for a few reasons first and most important it ignored the presence and the power of God in Abram's life God had promised Abram an outcome in his life but he was thinking God could not provide the means here God promised a land he promised a seed he promised a blessing but Abram leaned to his own understanding his own devices to obtain them and second, Abram's plan was also wrong because it put his wife's purity in jeopardy. And as a result, jeopardize, could have jeopardized the promise of God to make Abram a great nation. Because from Abram, the Messiah would come. Now, Abram was running the risk of another man taking his wife. And how could she be the mother of Abram's seed? Also, Abram was clinging to his wife's petticoat for protection instead of the promises of God. So his plan was wrong because what he feared was, was it was hypothetical. It was all future. You guys, are, you know, our imagination sometimes can get out of whack. You know, and we could think things that are going to happen or can possibly happen. And a lot of times they don't happen, but we think they're going to happen. He had not even entered Egypt. And what he feared was in terms of the future. And he was not wrong in thinking of the possibility that someone would consider his wife as a beautiful desire, you know, to desire her. It was not even wrong for him to think that someone might even want to kill him to take her. But Abram was wrong to assume that this would happen and that the only way to prevent it was to lie. Nowhere are the promise and protection of God brought into the mix here. So you have sinful deception taking place. Before any real danger is even experienced. Notice how Abram's life uh, plan, uh, his plan backfired on him. Look at verses 14 and 15. So it was when Abram came into Egypt that the Egyptians saw the woman that she was beautiful. The princes of Pharaoh also saw her and commanded her to Pharaoh. And the woman was taken to Pharaoh's house. So at this point, you might say, you see, Abram's fears were not uh, uh, hypothetical. It happened just as Abram had planned. Not really. Not really. Look closer. Abram was not the victim of what he feared. He was actually the cause of what happened. Abram's fear of the future and his plan of action actually caused the event that followed instead of putting putting his faith in God. Abram made his decision on the assumption that he would predict the outcome of his actions. But God had to teach Abram that the possibilities for the outcome were more numerous than he thought. And so Abram is faced with a dilemma that he never thought would happen. He had this well thought out plan. Sarah would pose as his sister. He would put off marriage. They would get out of there when the famine was done. But his plan only considered the men of Egypt. He didn't consider Pharaoh. Because he says, therefore, it will happen when the Egyptians see you. That they will say this is his wife. Abram didn't think that Pharaoh might be interested in her also. Look at verse 15. The princes of Pharaoh also saw her and and commended her to Pharaoh. In all of his self-planning, he didn't figure that she would be taken by Pharaoh. The Egyptian law provided negotiations for a wife. By having Sarah lie that she was his sister, Abram knew that they would have to negotiate with him being the family for the bride. And he thought he wouldn't allow it to get that far. But what he didn't realize was that the only one exempt from these negotiations was Pharaoh. The Pharaoh was allowed to take a wife without negotiating. So, can you picture Abram at this point? Back in his tent. Going, what have I gotten myself into? Oh my gosh. Why did I come down to Egypt? Whose stupid idea was this to lie? So Pharaoh took her into his palace until the time of the consummation of the union. And Sarai would go through a pretty long period of preparation for her presentation to Pharaoh. That was the custom in those days. So while Abram's wondering what the heck was going on over there at the palace, Look at what verse 16 says. It says, he, speaking of Pharaoh, treated Abram well for her sake. He had sheep, oxen, male donkeys, male and female servants, female donkeys, and camels. Pharaoh sends Abram all kinds of swag, (laughs) all kinds of gifts. He's treating them royally, man. He's sending them the BMWs, the Rolexes, you know, the iPads and all that of of that day. But the thing is, Abram could not only enjoy this tree, he couldn't enjoy this tree because of the realization of what it meant. Pharaoh was giving these things to Abram as a dowry. And he sees no way out. Abram's in a pickle. And the only way out is for God to intervene on his behalf. And God does. Look at God's intervention in verses 17 to 20. But the Lord plagued Pharaoh and his house with great plagues because of Sarai, Abram's wife. You get, you get that in, in First Peter uh, uh, 3, you get that, you know, where it says that it, 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 God took care of her. It says whose daughters you are. There's a promise to wives there in a sense. But anyway, uh, but the Lord plagued Pharaoh and his house with great plagues because of Sarai, Abram's wife and Pharaoh called Abram and said, What is this that you have done to me? Why did you not tell me that she is she was your wife? Why did you say she is my sister? I might have taken her as my wife. Now, therefore, here's your wife. Take her and go your way. Get out of here. Yep. God had not been mentioned in this event until here. In verse 17, you don't see Abram cry out to God for help. But God does intervene on behalf of Abram and Sarai. And you wonder, why would God intervene on his behalf? When Abram lied. When he made a big mess of things here. And the answer would be because of God's great mercy and his great grace. And also, God knows the heart. God knows our blunders and our mistakes are from an evil heart or if it's a mistake born out of stupidity just because we're pennejos, <laughs> but our heart is still toward God, there's a difference. Abram trusted God. He worshiped God. He wasn't anti-God. He wanted to follow God, but he blew it. He just blew it. He made a mistake. And God, knowing Abram's heart, intervenes. Abram wasn't into evil. He wasn't into perversity. He wasn't playing games with God. He knew God and God knew him. In the same way, God knows our hearts, you guys. And he knows if our hearts are really sold out toward him or if our hearts are really bent toward evil. Is our heart sold out toward God? Can, we, can God look down and say, this is mine. I know him. I have a relationship with him. We walk together. Or are we just playing games? Are we playing church? And the incredible, awesome, wonderful thing about our God is that he does what he can to bring us and those back to, to our senses so gracious at the end of the day i sometimes i just like lord thank you for putting up with me thank you for that goodness and that's the scripture say that his kindness leads us to repentance our god is so gracious he's so faithful but look at here sometimes it takes rebuke and being humbled Pharaoh and his household are struck by some kind of plague. Verse 17 tells us. And Abram is confronted by Pharaoh and bluntly rebuked. Look at verse 18. It says, what have you done to me? Why didn't you tell me she was your wife? Why did you say she is my sister? I might have taken her to be my to be my wife. And and here you have a non-believer rebuking a believer. Ouch. He's, he's rebuking him there. And Abram had no excuse or explanation. He could not say anything. And this hindered his testimony to his faith in the God who had called him out. Even as our conduct as Christians affects our credibility. This was a royal rebuke. And I'm sure Abraham would remember that forever. Look at verse 20. So Pharaoh commanded his men concerning him. And they sent him away with his wife and all that he had. Pharaoh kicks Abram out of Egypt. Here's your wife, take her and go. And Abraham departed for Canaan, for Bethel. And just look real quickly at verse, uh, first four verses in chapter 13. It says, then Abram went up, he and his wife and all that he had and lot with him to the south Abram was very rich in livestock and silver and gold and he went on his journey from the south as far as Bethel to the place where his tent had been at the beginning between Bethel and Ai to the place of the altar which he had made there at first. And there Abram called on the name of the Lord. How different was reality from Abram's reasoning without faith? God does intervene and you see Sarai's, Sarai's purity protected and Abraham's life Preserved. And the good thing was that Abram went back to Bethel and he resumed worshiping God. He went back to where he had originally pitched his tent. And Abram's once again calling on the name of the Lord. And this is what we need to do if we put ourselves in a mess. When we blow it, we need to go back to the place in our hearts where we once sought God. Praise God he hasn't come back yet. We can get right. God's will is repentance. God's will is forgiveness. God's will is restoration. And God's will is worship. Calling on the name of the Lord. And he loves us so much. That he doesn't want to leave us in a mess. He doesn't. He wants to redeem us. And he wants to restore us back to him. Regardless of what has gone on. And yes. There will be consequences on the. Things we do. There will be consequences, but we have to live with. But he does desire to restore us. Abram got back on track once again. And you see, uh, you read through Genesis that that, that he ultimately, that God fulfills his promise to him. He became the father of nations. He wasn't without further mistakes, but he still continued forward in the call that God had placed on his life. He became a man of faith and he trusted God. And and faith, you guys, is something that develops over a process of time as we discover God's faithfulness. It comes through fellowship with God. It comes through knowing God. The more we know him, the more we'll trust in him. The more we'll build our faith in him. In our Christian journey, there are and will be numerous challenging decisions to make. There will be a lot of obstacles to overcome and conquer. But obedient faith goes on by searching God's word and allowing God's word to search us. And we all have a long way to go. We all have a long way to go. But we should be growing in faith. It should be increasing. And when God puts his finger on an area of sin, obedient faith responds even if it's difficult or inconvenient. Obedient faith lets go of this evil world And begins a pilgrimage toward heaven. It worships God by calling upon him. And it bears witness of God to this crazy pagan world. Whenever God is speaking to us through his word. We have to hear. We must hear what he's saying. And we must act on it. That's obedient faith. The choice all of us have. Is when we go through the situations and the testings is will we put our trust in Jesus or in our own strength and wisdom? And my prayer is that we would put our trust in our faith in the Lord. Let's pray. Father, what an incredible section of Scripture and so much for us to learn from, Lord. I pray that now you would take each and every one of us and help us to filter and, and, and process all this specifically for each and every one of our walks with you, Lord. Father, that we would just allow you to continue to transform and change us, Lord, as only you can do. And that, Father, we would be victorious in this day and age, Lord, and we would be that testimony to our loved ones, Lord, our kids, our, our friends and neighbors, Lord. and Father, we would bring you the glory, Lord, and Lord, you would just, we would set that altar, Lord, beginning in our home. So go before my brothers now, Lord, and have your way with them. Father, we love you. We thank you, Lord, for you alone have the words of eternal life. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Amen.